For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Lalone, and I serve on the lead pastor team at Park, charged with the responsibility of overseeing our north side region of churches, churches while being anchored in here at South Rogers Park. And I say back to work because most of you know, some of you haven't met yet, I've been on sabbatical for the last three months. And I've been intending to accomplish a lot of things. <clears throat> Number one, I wanted to spend great time with my family. Number two, I wanted to get some rest because that's what a sabbatical is intended for. Three, I wanted to read a whole bunch of books. I kind of had a stack that I was ready that I knew that I needed to get after. I wanted to finish a missional training curriculum. And I wanted to prepare an org chart for my updated managing responsibilities. And I'm here to report to you this morning that I accomplished one out of five. <clears throat> if I was a hitter in baseball, it means I was hitting 200 and should be sent back to the minors, if you know what I mean. I didn't prepare an org chart because I just don't really like organization. I didn't quite finish up my missional training curriculum, although I'm really close. I didn't read a bunch of books. I read the book. I read through Romans about five or six times getting ready for our Roman series. I got some rest. I got some spiritual rest. I was kind of away from the church for a little bit, but I got an eight, five, and two-year-old, so you know only that goes so far. But the one thing that I did accomplish is I got to spend some great, great time with my family. And that was better than all those other things put together, let me tell you. <clears throat> some highlights include biking with Lynn's up in Elk Rapids in northern Michigan, climbing on the Sleeping Bear Dunes, a rainy date night in New York City, visiting the museums in D.C., lots of swimming with the kids. I was swimming in creeks, literally. Uh, lakes, oceans, and a lot of hotel pools. <clears throat> Some updates with Lincoln. She learned to ride her bike, and I get to have been hearing her prayers that night. Logan turned two. She upped her vocabulary and her sassiness. <clears throat> Dylan turned five. He learned to ride his bike and now can ride it with one hand, and this is the line for the summer. Hey, Daddy, look. I can ride my bike with one hand so I can pick my nose. <laughs> Moms and dads, I'm in there with you. But lastly, in regards to Dylan, what's is really cool is that Dylan discovered basketball. <laughs> and when I say Dylan discovered basketball, he has discovered basketball. We are out, it's been for the last couple weeks, every single day, working on his pump fake, one dribble, ball fakes, his jab step, and give and go. This is incredible. And he's like, he can't get out of it, right, Lens? Lee was over the other night. I mean, that's the only thing that he wants to do, and he wants to play one-on-one -on -one with Dad. Are you kidding me? Life has been good. It's so good. <clears throat> well, enough of all of that. Let's get to the real or the main attraction, so to speak, this morning, huh? Today is Vision Sunday for us as we kick off our ministry year. And as I was considering what to preach on, I was thinking about the churches in the New Testament. And I kept coming back to the church of Thessalonica. I actually preached on this particular 
chapter in Thessalonica, Thessalonica some six years ago. Because I think there are a lot of parallels to what they were encountering as they lived out their faith in the city. Let's remind ourselves of the context God has called us to in Rogers Park. When we first came up here to plant, you know, six and a half or so years ago, I was reminded as I was meeting with ministry leaders, leaders all throughout the neighborhood and people in the city that they told us that Rogers Park is the graveyard for church plants in Chicago. It's where churches came and died and left. So that was really encouraging as we got started. <clears throat> Population of 55,000, as you see. When Loyola University is in session, it ups to 70. And we can go through some of those things. But some 80 languages are spoken here in our community. 35 languages are spoken here at Sullivan High School. Look at the religious pluralism, as I know you engage with and you see visibly as you walk the sidewalks and streets of Rogers Park. There's regional and visible segregation. It's very clear where people are living here in our community. Open gang violence, which we've dealt with for a long time. Some of you know that we have lost eight guys to murder out of, out of James Crockett's uh, Sunday evening Bible study in the neighborhood in a four and a half year period. Under-resourced and underperforming schools, and that's just kind of a lot of what Chicago is. So it's just challenging, and so we want to be a part of that. It's a large runner community. It's politically charged and divisive. Divisive. The Republicans don't agree with the Democrats, and the Democrats don't agree with the Republicans. And if there are Christians on both sides, they don't think that they're Christians if they're either or. And approximately 95% of our community is unchurched. This isn't Mayberry, is it? But wow, what an incredible opportunity that God has given us to reach such a diverse group of people. And I was, I was thinking this last three, over these last three months, you're doing it. You're doing it. I am so proud to be a member of this church. I am so proud. Much so as Paul was of the Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 573. Page 573. And as always, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. But before we dig in, let's get a little background to our text this morning. I'm going to spend a little bit more time here because how many of us know that it's not so much about the arrival, but it's about the journey to get there? <clears throat> Launching out from the city of Antioch in present-day Syria at the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul's ministry team is moving along a second missionary journey through the region of Galatia, which is in present-day Turkey. And having, kept been, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia, that's very interesting. The Spirit kept them from preaching the gospel in a certain place. They arrive in the west coast city of Troas, and Paul has this vision of a man who says, come over to Macedonia and bring us some help, which was in modern-day Greece. And concluding that this was from God, they set sail at once to bring them the gospel. Well, after planting a church in Philippi where they caused a riot, got beat up, put in jail, and then kicked out of the city, the relentless Paul and his ministry team, instead of reverting back or going back east to Antioch, 
they take the five-day, 100-mile walk west to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a bustling and free city under the empire with an estimated 50 to 60,000 people about the size of our community. It was a wealthy commercial center with a thriving seaport that connected it with harbors all over the known world. On your day off, you could go get your workout in at the gym, and then in the afternoon, you could go to the stadium to watch gladiators swing axes at each other. And much like Rogers Park, religious pluralism engulfed the city. Greek cults, philosophical traditions, emperor worship, a sanctuary for the Egyptian gods, and secretism, a mixture of all sorts of things, vied for their allegiance. If one was not anchored in the gospel, one could lose their way there. Paul talks about one of his associates who did just that. A very obscure verse in the Bible that's not really thought of much. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes about his one-time ministry worker Demas, who because he loved this world had deserted him and went back to Thessalonica. Of major importance is that the Ignatian Way, the major east-west highway that connected Rome with the eastern regions of the empire, ran straight through the city. People were coming in the city and they were coming out of the city. And they would have been running into Christians who were sharing the good news of God's grace. Which leads me to say about Paul's journey to get to Thessalonica, how many of us know that God knows exactly what he's doing with the no's of our life? Not just the yeses, but the no's of your life when he says no. What's fascinating is that God meets Paul's desire to travel throughout Asia later on his third missionary journey. It's just a matter of timing, you see. Because there's another assignment that's got to get done. And often God uses the roadblocks in our lives to lead us to highways for the gospel's expansion. How many of you know that he will mess up your plans real quick? David's the only one. How many of you know that God will mess up your plans really, really quick? He's only messing with half of us, so that's good. But that's what it's all about, you see. It's about God being God and us being us. It's about his agenda. We are not our own. And it's about our obedience. In Acts 17, we get the great news that many people come to faith in Christ through the ministry, yet Paul's time with them is abruptly cut short. He was probably only there from about three weeks to two months, as scholars conclude, as some religious, or jealous religious leaders started a flash mob, literally, and started spreading lies about their ministry team, causing them to flee. And after moving through some other cities, Paul finally settles down in the city of Corinth. And some later, Timothy brings back a report of the Thessalonians. And the questions in Paul's mind would have been, how was this young church left without, their, left without their founders and a full instruction in the faith, holding up in the midst of, the city, of a city's backlash to their response to the gospel? 
how would they be holding up without their main leadership? Was their trust in Christ firmly rooted and genuine? Or did they abandon him and revert back to their old ways? Let's find out as you stand with me for the reading of God's word. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. You knew what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the Lord in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not need say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Fifteen times in ten verses, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is mentioned. This is all about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your committed love directed to us, your people. Thank you for this space that we've been able to gather in for six and a half years so far. Thank you for all of your provision. From week in and week out, we get to come and we get to sing the word. We get to apply the word. We get to hear the word, which means that we're hearing from you. Father, your word says in Psalm 130 that you have exalted above all things, and that's your name and your word. And so we are anticipating and we're expectant to hear from you this morning. May it be so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I'm going to work through this baby in four movements, four movements. And the first movement is going to be a little bit longer than the second, third, and fourth because the first movement just simply has more verses in it. So here we go. We ready? We have a thankful reflection in verses one through five. Introducing the letter to the church, notice the big three. We're not talking about Bird, Mikhail, and Parrish. Some of you have no idea who those guys are even anymore. This isn't Warren, Harris, or Gabbard. This is an Amazon, Apple, or Google, who are taking over the world, by the way. What's going on? 
No, this is the Apostle Paul who was commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. Silvanus or Silas who is with Paul from the beginning of the journey. And Timothy the faithful disciple who they picked up along the way. This was God's ministry team and co-founders of the church who were fellow workers. They were not rivals threatened by another's giftedness or success. There was no petty one-upmanship with them. You see no list of credentials here. There's no letters before or after their names because their lives did the talking. As one of my mentors used to say to me when we would talk about getting recognized for ministry or uh, accolades that ministers receive in the ministry, he would always say to me, and Jansen knows this really well, he would say to me, Jason, it's not about the stars, my brother. It's about the scars. Paul literally could show this earlier. He ended his letter to the Galatians with this final line. He said, finally, brothers, let no one cause me any trouble. Like, don't give me a hard time because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul's life and his suffering did the talking. The recipients, of course, are the beloved Philippians, who to Paul were family. And they're not just any family. They were the gathered assembly of the echeleo, the called out ones, brought into being by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were literally blood brothers and blood sisters adopted into the same family through the blood of Christ, who are now participating in resurrection life. And right here from the beginning, Paul's establishing that central to the existence of the life of the church is God himself. Which reminds us that God does not exist for the sake of the church. We don't do things and make plans and then ask God to bless our efforts. But rather, the church comes into being and exists for the praise and glory of God. Which may alter the way some of us think about our own involvement in the church. It's a game changer that throws a wimpy consumer Christianity mindset out the window. For example, it won't be about our favorite style of music. When we come in here, right? And I know some of us, you know... Maybe not digging the music sometimes from week to week. You know, I know that's an issue sometimes in the church. Well, just praise God that we aren't playing country music. Like, (laughs) sorry, this is my preference again. Or it won't certainly be how about how a certain ministry is not meeting my needs. Rather, it will be, how can I step in to make the ministry better for others and learn in a more deeper way that it's more blessed to give than receive? Why, it won't even be about the preacher preaching a dud sermon on Sunday. It'll be all right. I'm going to get something out of this. And you know what? There's always next week. This is not about us. This is all about God. Grace to you and peace is the common greeting in the New Testament churches. In other words, may the benefits of the gospel continually be manifested in your lives. May that which causes joy and wholeness and flourishing, may they be seen in you always. And notice every time Paul prayed for the church in verse 2, he was thankful. 
which is so encouraging, right? Because I confess to you that sometimes when I think of some folks in the church, thankful is the last thing on my mind. It's more like I'll be thankful when I don't have to see them anymore. None of you, of course. None of you. These Christians that I met in Oregon. (laughs) But the Thessalonians, much like you are to Joe and John and I, they were cherished by Paul. And they constantly prayed for them. The gospel had taken root and was transforming their lives. Look at the evidences of grace in these urban Christians. They had a faith that worked, they have a love that labored, and they had a hope that was steadfast. These three virtues of faith, hope, and love, as a lot of you know, are found all throughout the New Testament, and they are always accompanying salvation. Faith is the assurance that God has acted on our behalf in Christ. Love is the continuing response of obedience to God while loving others. And hope is the conviction that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. These are not stagnant virtues. If you have a faith that isn't working... A love that isn't laboring. If you don't get tired once in a while in the ministry or serving in the church. And if you don't have a hope that is enduring. Then it's safe to say that you may have not taken hold of the life which is truly life. We have often done faith, hope, and love a lot of wrong in our culture, relegating it to Hallmark cards and wedding homilies. And the Thessalonians, they wouldn't have been feeling that. Because in verses 4 and 5, the gospel came with power and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Or in other words, it could be said it came in fullness of power. Power here is the Greek word dynamis from where we get the word dynamite. I know that's very brilliant. And that when Paul and his team, when they lit the wick of the Thessalonians with the message of the gospel, it sizzled down into their hearts, struck faith, and blew up like the 4th of July. They weren't like those little smoke bombs, you know, that I lit when I was a kid, which are so unimpressive, you know. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not introducing them to my kids because they're just not impressive. You got to get the big ones, right? You know? But you know what I mean? You light the the little wick and just (laughs) colored smoke comes out. Not with these, not with these guys. They were a new creation. The old had gone and the new had come, and it was very evident. Yet there's another thing that I like to draw out here in our verses in regards to power. Do you want to have Holy Spirit power in your ministry? Regardless of any sort of position or title that you may have or don't have. A power evident on the music team the children's ministry team, on the greeting team, 
Maybe as you lead your small group or you have relationships in the community or when you go to work and you're God's man or woman at the workplace. Do you want to know what it takes to have power in your ministry? Number one, you need to be praying. And Paul, as we see here, was doing that constantly. And you need to be proclaiming the right message. And lastly, you need to be proven in your character. Look at the end of verse 5. What a bold statement. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And the Holy Spirit will always honor such people in churches. Sure, there may be a different range of responses and outcomes, but he will always honor such a ministry. And that's what the world is waiting for from us. A commitment to the hidden work of prayer. A courageous yet compassionate proclamation of the gospel. And a proven or a holy life. We can't think that we can neglect holiness. And that others would see the beauty of Christ in us. Because he's beautiful. And he's holy. I love Charles Spurgeon's line, the famous 19th century English preacher, when he said, Sanctity in Christians is a loud call for sinners to repent. And when allied with holy cheerfulness, it becomes wonderfully attractive. Trust me on this. And you guys get this so well. The first thing we need as a church strategy to win the world to Christ is not better programs or better stages. It's for us to be better Christians. And I see you striving for this more and more and more. So we have a thankful reflection in verses 1 through 5. And a joyful replication in verses 6 and 7. And let me start this point by asking you a question. This is Vision Sunday, right? Here we go, right? <laughs> let me start this by asking you a question. What is it about your pursuit of Christ that's worth imitating? Which may be a good question to ask your spouse or to ask your best friend. Another assurance that the Thessalonians were living out the gospel was that they were following their leader's example, which in this case was following their example in suffering. You see, for the Thessalonians, when they publicly declared their allegiance to King Jesus, that meant persecution and affliction. In their culture, turning to a suspect religion or worshiping another king would have been an offense to the gods. A betrayal to them and their family and their friends and citizens of the city. Civic peace, agricultural success, and even freedom from natural catastrophes was caught to lie in the will of the gods. And so betraying them or dishonoring them could have caused a lot of trouble for them. They could be arrested, beaten, stripped of their property, and then kicked out of the city as traitors. This is a whole new different world. Much like some of our world here presently in certain parts of our world. But this church, 
as Lindsay's Aunt Shannon says, they look crazy. Not only did they experience some of that persecution, but in the midst of their trials, they responded with, look at verse 6, the joy given by the Holy Spirit, the supernatural joy that characterizes God's kingdom in Romans 14, for this is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, regardless of your circumstance. In Galatians chapter 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Regardless of your circumstance, it's the indomitable inner joy of an eternal perspective that sustained Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 who it was for the before the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame a joy that far outseeds the happiness of temporary pleasures joy in their suffering but there's more Just like faith, hope, and love have activity attached to it, so does joy. Dig this. This was fun. I didn't really see this before. Not only did they have joy in their suffering, but they got eagerly generous. Listen to Paul writing about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 concerning their giving to the needy in Jerusalem, giving to a church, a group of people that they had never met and they wouldn't be able to tell them how to spend the money. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Just go home and read it and meditate on this one. Just listen to it now. <clears throat> we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi, Thessalonica, the churches of Macedonia, where Paul came over to. For in a severe test of affliction, it was a test, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. No one coerced them into this. No giving campaigns. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Them, those verses, that will challenge your giving. Isn't God good? There are always there there are always people or there's always someone to remind you that you haven't arrived yet.
Some of those people in Thessalonica may, not ha- may have lost all of their possessions. But they were begging to be generous. You know what begging means, right? Begging? Begging. They're begging to be generous. In their affliction, they were thinking about the needs of others. I know most of us here have not even come close to experiencing that kind of persecution or suffering due to our faith in Christ. Although there are some that have that are part of our West Rogers Park family. North Rogers Park, certainly. But if they could have joy and be generous in their suffering and poverty, what do you think God would desire of us in our safety and our prosperity? This is Vision Sunday. And I know there are tons of possibilities for application for this, but I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit take it from here. When Paul says that they were an example in verse 7, it was a picture of a seal or die leaving its image, stamping them for approval. They were the real deal, man. Their church program was simple yet powerful. Paul and his ministry team imitated Christ. The Thessalonians imitated them. And those other churches throughout the province were imitating the Thessalonians. And I am so thankful that I have many of you to imitate. Thank you. I know for certain, for certain, for certain, if I didn't already know the past three months, I know that I know that I need people in my life worth imitating. And many of you are that for me. Thank you for your commitment to Jesus in our neighborhood. It's so encouraging because it's hard doing ministry in the city. Isn't it? It's difficult to raise your kids in the city. It's challenging. Some people speak against it. We have a thankful reflection, a joyful replication, and now an impacting reputation in verses 8 and 9. I'm working the R's as you see. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception reception we had among you. Sounding forth has the idea of a resounding echo from a musical instrument blast. As their continual witness to the gospel carried out through the province, remember the Ignatian way? It's kind of like what the Kennedy and Dan Ryan are to the Midwest. When travelers came in through the city, they would carry out what was happening in the city back to the place where they came from. And Paul is struck here because what he found out was that before he could tell other churches about what happened in Thessalonica, they were already telling him about them. Unlike Las Vegas, what happened in Thessalonica didn't stay there. Their reputation preceded them, and it was a good reputation. 
You have a great reputation. I want you to know that. There are people in Jakarta, Indonesia, who know about this congregation meeting in Sullivan High School and all what God has done in and through this people. The Thessalonians were making it hard for other people to share the good news with others, if you know what I mean. Speaking of reputation, every so often, there's someone who comes along with, who wants to take this sharing Jesus with the world seriously. I'm assuming everyone in this room is familiar with Moody Bible Institute and its namesake, D.L. Moody. I have read a lot on D.L. Moody, you know, because we're forced to do it at Moody when I was a student there. But it was good. It was a good force. It was a good force. And, and even afterwards, I mean, there's so many books, biographies about him. He comes across as almost a mythical character like Abraham Lincoln. But a story is told about one of his partners in ministry uh, regarding Moody's knack for putting people on the spot about their religious practice. Some of you have heard this before. One day as they were walking along in downtown Chicago, a gentleman passed by them, and Moody, as he was always in the habit of doing, said, hey, are you a Christian? And the man shot back, that is none of your business. To which Moody said, well, actually, that is my business. To which the man replied, then you must be D.L. Moody. That's a reputation. And after 130 years, his gospel witness and investment in the city of Chicago is still sounding forth through that institution of training practitioners here in the city, other cities, and across the globe to share the good news of Jesus. May this congregation have such a reputation. Amen? Take a look how the gospel has sounded forth from you the last six and a half years. Look at the northeast side of, our, of the city of Chicago. Look what God has done. Who would ever thought, right, Joe? I mean, when we were coming up here and preparing for a year and a half, when we were praying all of our prayer meetings all the time, preparing over at the lake and in our, our condo back on Granville from house to house, our prayer walks, just, man, covering it in prayer, Right? Who would have thought? We were trying to figure out where we were even going to meet. We had, I don't like organization, remember? So like, we're trying to figure out how's this thing even going to come together. And look what God has done. Sometimes you just got to stop and smell the roses. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to like look at it. Our North Rogers Park family and our West Rogers Park family and Breakers, what we call the RP Network. You have done that through God's strength and his power. That's your investment. That's your sounding forth. That's you. I hope you sense God's smile this morning in that. But even further, take a look at this. This is what really gets me really excited. The blue dots are kind of our, low, our park congregations throughout the city, but the white dots are the 23 churches so far that we have had a small part in helping to plant through the Chicago Partnership of Church Planning and Catalyst Communities. 
Churches that don't have Park's name on it, the ways that we've been helped through prayer, our ministry partnerships, giving of resources, equipment. What we give when we give the 10% that comes off the top of our giving and our offering every week. That's what you've been a part of. And we're going to bring more into a focus as the, um, especially as the months go forward. That's your sounding forth in varying degrees of ways playing a small part in the bigger work that God's doing in the city. That's you. Isn't that so encouraging? May our reputation be such that as we serve together throughout this community and throughout our city, people would say, those folks must be from the church that meets in Sullivan High School. Who also encourage and support other churches and ministries in the neighborhood too. It was my joy during the sabbatical that we got to write nine checks to other partner ministries here in our community to help them with their summer programming. That's you sounding forth. We had a little bit of access, and so we were like, let's not keep it for ourselves. Let's give it to the kingdom. That's how you do it. In closing, has this been long? (laughs) I'm starting to sweat. (laughs) We have a thankful reflection, a joyful replication, an impacting reputation, all because of a persevering renunciation. Verses 9 and 10. Now here we go. These verses may be the most clear in all the scripture and what it looks like to believe the gospel. A gospel outcome. This is what true faith looks like. The Thessalonian church turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here we have turning, serving, and waiting. The life of faith, past, present, and future. One, they turn to God from idols, past. Now for some of us, when we think of the word idol, we think of those Buddha statues, totem poles, or the golden calf of when Lee preached that sermon here uh, some weeks ago. Those lifeless objects of worship, more than likely many of the Thessalonians would have been worshiping lifeless images. And I know for some of us that this seems absolutely ridiculous and non-applicable for us today. It's just hard for us to get our minds around that. But we got to keep in mind that that was a whole different time period and culture. And there's a lot of work we could do just in that statement alone. But let's stop for a moment, as we always do from time to time, and let's take an assessment of ourselves. Are you worshiping any idols? I know it may not be a statue. But what... If you're honest with yourselves and your heart of hearts, when you really make time to be quiet with the Lord, what has your deepest affections? And the way you can kind of look into that is, what dominates your thoughts during the break at work or at the bus stop? Be honest with who your roommate is or your spouse What do you talk about the most when you're at home? 
Are there any activities that you've allowed to cut into your life where you have relegated the church or serving God to a part-time status? What are you trusting in to give you the significance, security, and fulfillment that God has already offered us and given us through His Son and Jesus? Is there anything that you are looking to to fulfill your heart besides God being on that being in that place? Success. Things are going well. I have no need really. Because I've actually given myself over to success in building something, maybe an empire, a reputation, so that other people won't look at him, but really will look at you. It's a satisfying thing for a season to be in that kind of a thing. And you can serve that way for many years and be duped. Another way you can ask yourself if you're building your own empire is, what are you doing with all that God has given you in that empire? More and more and build and build. The Thessalonians turned away from all those powerful things that overpromise and underdeliver. Those things that dupe you. That the terminology that the Bible uses is deceives you. And what will happen is they will only end up disappointing you and ultimately destroying you. Two, they serve God. Present. Far from just agreeing with the facts about Jesus, the Thessalonians proved their faith by what they did. They didn't just come in and sit in the seat once a week, right, on Sunday. No, they went to work. Right? They had that love that labored. And I believe this is a strong point for us as a church. You guys are laboring. I know many of you, some of you are over laboring. I've caught on to some of that. You may be doing a little bit too much. That's going to catch up with you, so you've got to take a check in that. Some of you might need to step up a little bit more and, and to a certain degree. Step up into the place where you're flourishing and where you really want to serve and do. But let's be very, very basic here as we get ready to land the plane. Let's be very, very basic. Jesus kept driving home the point to his disciples that he was among them as one who serves. He had much to say about it, didn't he? That the greatest of those in the kingdom will be those who are servant of all. And that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so if he's our example and the spirit is at work in us, we will be a people who are serving. If you're looking for a title this morning... There you have it. You're a servant. What a great title. I will take that any day of the week. 
over any of the other mumbo-jumbo. Jason, who are you? I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the king of kings. And I get to do his bidding. I get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. The greatest thing and activity that he is doing in the world, his mission of bringing people to himself and then growing up in faith in Christ and becoming more and more like Christ and then being sent out on his mission too. We are a part of the greatest movement in the history of the world. The movement of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's who we are. You are a servant. Lastly, they waited on God future. The Thessalonians had an eschatological hope. In other words, they had a, one eye on the end, the end of things. That is, they were waiting on all that is wrong to be ended and all that is good to be forever. They knew the sun was raining from heaven, that his return was certain, that the resurrection was sure, and that being in relationship with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth was their destiny. And that's the hope that held them up in their times of trials and will hold you up in the difficulty of being a follower of Jesus and servant in the city. Amen? Look to the future. It is going to be awesome. Endure the difficulty and the suffering. Your reward will be waiting for you. If you're not getting a little bit of, of it now. Now some of you may be asking yourselves, Jason, you've just talked for a long time in your first Sunday back. So what's the big deal, man? What's the vision for Vision Sunday at Park? We talked a lot about this reflection and replication and reputation and renunciation. But what's the vision for us? him it's him he is always our vision it's Christ the King 